0: Father, the uh, the mayor of Sugarland does not know my name. Lord, outside of this company, maybe a few hundred people know my name. But Lord, you have said that my name is precious to you. My name was one that brought your son to become a man and live on this earth and die a death on a cross so that our names might be written in the book of life. We stand amazed. In your presence, we thank you for who you are and what you've done. Open now our hearts and our minds as we continue before you in the word. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. So, what do Martin Luther... Napoleon, Queen Elizabeth the First, and William Tyndale have in common that I'll tell you they were all excommunicated from the church. So uh, Martin Luther was excommunicated in 1521 after he called Pope Leo X the Antichrist. That will do it. <laughs> Napoleon a. Uh, Insatiable empire builder, uh, he was uh, <laughs> he was excommunicated uh, because he uh, occupied Rome. Elizabeth the interesting, she had a very long uh, career, very well known. Queen Elizabeth the she followed her father's lead, uh, Henry the eighth, uh, by continuing to rule the Church of England uh, after. Uh, usurping the Pope's authority. Um, So Pope Pius V, what he did was he excommunicated Elizabeth uh, in a desperate bid to get the Church of England back under the Roman umbrella. That's a strange way to to do that. It, It didn't work, by the way. That's why we have the Church of England. That's why we have Anglicans. That's uh, where that comes from. Now, William Tyndale, he was excommunicated for translating the Bible into English. Uh, he was executed, actually, I think if you dig just a little bit deeper, that wasn't precisely the reason, although it was contributing. Uh, it was because, well, I think King Henry VIII was a narcissist. I rarely use that word, but here, it. I, you know, and I haven't met the man, so I can't make a proper diagnosis, but Tyndale said, No, uh, your reasoning for annulling your marriage to Catherine is bogus. And so I don't think King uh, Henry liked that. And so um, he was uh, excommunicated and, and and then executed. Now, interestingly enough... Henry VIII, just a little bit of uh, English history, not much, uh, but a, a tiny bit, he had to get special permission uh, from the Pope in order to marry Catherine in the first place because his brother had been uh, her, Catherine's husband for three months, and then he died. So, so he uh, then, then married her. And then he wanted an annulment from her, which in Leviticus he used Leviticus twenty twenty one. Hard to believe, hard to believe, that the the most well known passage at that time in uh, all of Christendom was Leviticus twenty twenty one because of King Henry. And I will dare say, because I didn't either have a clue what Leviticus 20, 21 said. But what it says is this. If a man takes his brother's wife, it's an impurity, and the couple shall remain childless. Well, in Henry's case, this was like... I mean, that's what was happening there, right? So anyway, uh, back to Anne Boleyn. So he wanted to annul the marriage with Catherine so that he could marry Anne Boleyn. Now, uh, although... Anne Boleyn and Henry VIII had a daughter, Elizabeth. He had no notion that she would or should be queen. He wanted a son. The person who's going to follow me is going to be a king. He had no idea she would be such a capable uh, ruler. And while she was just a baby, he accused Anne of adultery. And he had her beheaded historians are unanimously in agreement, and there may be an odd one here or there, but when you take the collective hold, they're in agreement that those charges were bogus and they were nonsense. He did that in order to have his way. If that wasn't the problem, why should she be executed? That is a, it's a very strange notion, is it not? So I have an idea... Uh, as to why, as to why that uh, might be, she actually carried with her a pocket testament translated by none other than William Tyndale, and in fact, they were executed within months of each other. And one could easily argue that she had become a part of the Reformation and perhaps a believer. And this was intolerable at that point. So, what did excommunication mean? For Martin Luther, it meant essentially that he was uh, basically free to do whatever he wanted to do with his 99 thesis. It was valid, gave him relative freedom to pursue those. For Queen Elizabeth, it meant absolutely nothing uh, at all. For Napoleon... (laughs) Napoleon got so mad that he kidnapped the, co- the Pope and he kept, him, he kept him for five years parading uh, him around. But for Tyndale, it meant execution. So people in power, particularly religious power mixed with political power, have often used that power to lord it over people. We're told in the New Testament over and over and over again, one of the warnings to elders, shepherds of the flock, is do not lord it over the people. Well, why would that warning be there if it wasn't something that was a problem? And when you mix that with a lot of people and a lot of political power, you end up with a mess. But why do you do it in the first place well it 's to make sure that people uh, don 't dissent uh, that people will do what they 're told to do when they 're told to do it, and that they 'll be in agreement at least ostensibly externally they 'll be in agreement. And we see this all over the uh, all over the world i mean and it 's evident to us in the not too distant past it 's clear that the Afghani people are not Taliban. That's separate. That's a distinction. They're being lorded over in order to function. We see that now with Hamas and the Palestinians. The Palestinians are not Hamas as such. And so we see that these distinctions are critical for us to be able to make. And while church discipline and excommunication have often been misused, it's wrong to think that it shouldn't take place. I mean, every profession, and you all know this because some of you are in these professions, every profession has an internal discipline arm that says, if you do this or this or this, you're out, or we're going to put you on some kind of wait list or something you're going to do. I mean, lawyers can be disbarred, doctors can lose their license, priests can lose or be defrocked. Okay? Uh, I don't, <laughs> we certainly don't have a frock custom here, but that's the word. Uh, and so biblically, it has a place. And and the oft-quoted, where two or three are gathered together, there am I in the midst, it has nothing to do with church or worship, gathering together. It's everything to do with Jesus Christ being in agreement with the discipline that's being given. So I'm not saying that it's wrong. I am saying that it's often misused. In the United States, when we think about excommunication, it's lost all its power. In fact, we wouldn't even use that word. We, we would use a word like church discipline or something like that. But uh, if the church exercises discipline in the United States, very likely the, the, what happens is the person just goes to another church. What's the other thing? Uh, There is no other thing. I mean, outside of the people who are directly involved, you you might get an, oh my, or you might get a goodness, uh, really. Uh, But that's it. And that's it. it. And so it's not often used, and it's even more uh, often misunderstood. And while it's essential, what I'm talking about, this whole lead-in is essential to the message today, it's not precisely the subject. Rather, it's the, uh, the background texture or tapestry to what's happening because if you don't understand that, then you cannot understand the passage itself. So in looking at that, uh, we're going to look at, at a remarkable exchange that takes place between the Jews and the parents of the man born blind. So let's look at John 9, 18 through 23. Right off, we see this uh, statement. The Jews did not, and I'll mention this again, but when it says the Jews, he's not talking, this is one of these places where we must make a distinction. When he says the Jews, he's talking about the scribes and the Pharisees. He's talking about a particular group among the Jewish people who are lording it over others. So please don't. Uh, read anything larger than that. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we don't know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. And most of you will have a parenthetical statement next. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. So that's an internal evidence of what I just said about the Jews. Later, an average, you know, you you can't just put this kind of discipline on people. You have to be a person in authority. His parents uh, said, he is of age, ask him. So it's clear that the Pharisees were not satisfied with the man's testimony, so they called in the parents, all right? We want you to do some things for us. We want you to verify his identity and that he was, in fact, blind, and we want to know who did this. And so what you find here is that it was essentially a trap. Understand, the Jews, in addition to having already agreed that anyone, anyone who said that Jesus was the Messiah... They were to be put out of the synagogue. They were to be excommunicated. They were to be... Uh, the word in Hebrew was closest to English would be ex-synagogued. They would be put out. And that meant something uh, uh, very, very profound. And so they had already refused to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Yet, Don't bother me with the facts. Don't bother me with... Something that's never happened before. And that is a man born blind can now see. Why bother me with that fact? My mind is already made up. And so I'm going to go forward with that. So they ask these three questions. Is this your son? Was he born blind? How does he now see? Now, the parents didn't hesitate. Oh, by the way. If, if you follow along, if you do any personal study on your own uh, as we go through these messages and so forth, uh, you'll find that all commentaries, all of them, all of them that I read, to include devotionals online. I mean, it's solid. Boy, do they pound these parents. <laughs> these parents are awful parents. I, I take a slightly different viewpoint. But the parents didn't hesitate. They did not abandon their son. That's not our son. No, they said, yes, this is our son. This is our son. Now, I want you to notice the word there. When they said, this is our son, you're talking about this, which is a demonstrative pronoun. This and that. These and those. It appears from the text itself that he's standing right there. This, this son. And so they said uh, in response uh, to that, that, that uh, this is our son. Not he is our son uh, or some other uh, thing. You know, it's this pulpit. It's not some other pulpit. It's this congregation, not some other congregation. I believe that he was right there, which helps make sense of how they answered the question as well. So, uh, not only was he our son, uh, is he our son, he was also uh, born blind. Now, the third question they couldn't positively answer. And this is where the people who uh, study this pound on the parents. And I'm going, why? why would you hit the parents at this point? They had not witnessed anything. They were pulled in just like everybody else. Whoa, what just happened? Now, it's clear, based on the parenthetical statement, they were afraid to express their uh, views, their belief, because of the Jews. And this must have maddened the Pharisees, uh, because the text said that, uh, they didn't believe that the man had been healed in the first place. So if that's the case, then what did they believe? I I, I mean, you, you'll come up with your own notions of what they believe. It seems fairly clear to me that they thought Jesus and this man were in cahoots to pass a miracle off on the people in order to whatever, gain a name or gain fame. So that's not what happened. We know from the previous text, right, that the Pharisees were bound and determined to find a basis on which to kill uh, Jesus. So if the parents had said, no, this is not our son, or if they said, no, he was not blind, now the Pharisees can jump back to Deuteronomy 13 and wherever all else, and they can come back and they can say, this is a false prophet uh, worthy of death, let's stone him. I mean, that's what they were looking for. We need to understand, that's what they were looking for. They wanted to kill him. So in all the dealings where you see the Pharisees and the scribes involved, the Sadducees played a a lesser role, that's another time. But nevertheless, they were bound and determined to kill Jesus Christ. They didn't say that. They said, no, he was born blind. Yes, he is our son. And the man had just called him a prophet. You can imagine their, their heads were exploding. Uh, several times I served on uh, uh, juries or, or committees uh, that made uh, judgments concerning disciplinary actions. And uh, one thing that I learned, and I, I clearly learned this, um, I'll glance towards uh, uh, J.R., although I think he practices a different kind of uh, law, or, or Roy, where, yeah, Roy. Uh, but, uh, you know, here's what I learned. If nothing else, this is what I learned. Answer the question. Just the question. Don't volunteer anything. Just if they ask you a question, answer the question. Boom, stop. Everything that I saw where additional information was added, it always led to adverse consequences to whoever the defendant or whoever the person was. So it's like, yeah, don't add anything. But in the text, we're told how the parents answered this third question. But how he now sees, we do not know. Stop! Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Okay, so I don't know what that makes you think, but that makes, me, my, that makes my mind start turning. Well, how do you know he didn't just bump his head and could see again? Uh, what do you mean, who? Nobody said anything about who. They added the who. How does he now see? I wanted the parents. I would have said, "How how he sees, I don't know. Done. Full stop. End. I don't know. What they said, though, was, we don't know who opened his eyes. And then they said, ask him, he is of age. He'll speak for himself. Now, what that meant is that he was at a minimum 30 years old because that's when he could uh, do all the things in court and so forth. Don't don't misunderstand what's happening here. Like here, if you had to go to court, like I had to report for jury duty, I don't know, a couple months ago, whatever it was, I had to go off and I had to go down to the courthouse. That's not the way it worked back then. You didn't go to the courthouse. You had court right there, right? So this was a big deal. Uh, and And you'll find in the... Uh, and Pavan will talk about this next week, uh, they actually will use uh, an oath based on this testimony. And so they said, he'll speak for himself. So you have to wonder where the parents were. Were they there while he was testifying so that they were picking up information from him about the fact that there was someone who healed him? There was someone who spit in the dust and made clay and put it on his eyes. How did they know this information? We don't know. We're not told. But we do know that it's important. Because I'm when I look at Scripture, I am curious as all get-out about things that don't make sense to me. And I'm going to point it out. Maybe all this makes sense to you. Maybe it won't. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. Got it. That's easy. For the Jews had already agreed if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Okay, so the first part is entirely accessible to us. It's easy to follow. They feared the Jews. Who would They had a lot of power. If any man confessed that Jesus was the Christ, they would put him out of the synagogue. Now, think with me. What does their answer to the question have anything to do at all with making a statement of faith about Jesus being the Messiah? It's, in a, it's, a fascinating, it's a fascinating thing. I want to talk about, we'll come back to this, but I want to talk about the excommunication for a couple of minutes, what it meant for them. I made a deliberate point of telling you that for us it means next to nothing. Uh, It may hurt your feelings for a while, but you get over it. Whoever was directly involved, maybe there's some stresses and strains that happen, but yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, what happens with this? What happens when you're put out of the synagogue? I'll tell you what happens. There were two grades of excommunication, okay? So one was for lighter offenses, uh, and that would last for 30 days. You couldn't go into the synagogue. You couldn't go near, including your wife or your children, within six feet, uh, four cubits. I think that translates to about six feet. But anyway, uh, so you you were kind of just kicked out for a while, make you feel bad so that you'll toe the line. And sometimes that needs to happen. Again, I'm not saying anything that church discipline is wrong. I'm saying it is wrongly used sometimes. The other one, though, is called a solemn excum- uh, exclusion. Okay? This is a forever ban. This is what these Jews were talking about. This is what they had agreed on, and it was coming from Jerusalem. This wasn't the local uh, elders in a synagogue getting together and saying, okay, we're going to ban you. You're, you're, you're banned. No, 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 no. This was from Jerusalem. So the impact was not only across the country, it was across all of Judaism where the people lived. So this was a big deal. It was attended with curses. Now, understand, curses in the way we use curse in America and the way it's used in the Middle East or the way it's used here doesn't mean saying bad words. It's something along the lines of, you know, may the, may the uh, axle grease in your rear end differential burn out and, and, and your car never run again. That's the kind of thing that this is. So they would give these curses, and it was an exclusion of contact from all people, and it was so thoroughly uh, an excommunication that you could not talk, no one, including family members, could provide you with the necessities of life. Homes were taken. Monies were confiscated. The only remedy was to leave and try to find some place that didn't know who you were. So what we're talking about is a total exclusion from the community. Now, we live in like Houston, right? There's like a gazillion people here. You got space all over. That's not the way this worked. A little synagogue in a village out there somewhere, your whole life, your whole life, your whole family was all a part of that one little ecosystem that you belonged to and you were going to get kicked out of it. And if anyone helped you, they get kicked out as well. Uh, This is not a small thing. Uh, it was a significant punishment if they confessed that Jesus was Messiah. Now, how is telling them, we don't know how he was healed, and we don't know who healed him, a confession of the Messiah? How does that equate? Okay, so we get they were afraid, and I suppose a little thing I might take from that is we can... You know, uh, boldly stand and and say, "I will not fear." Not me. I hope that's the case for me. I do. Um, I think being equated with a, a radical that puts me on a no-fly list or a no-buy list or something like that, that might be tough. Uh, we might have a social credit system, like they have in. China and other places. It's a government-run system that tracks and evaluates the behavior of individuals and business, and ostensibly it's to make better citizens. I mean, that's what it's all about, right? The problem is with any system, as you all know, it's run by people. And people have agendas. And sometimes their agenda runs afoul of yours. And it's subject to tremendous misuse and uh, abuse. We have it here already. It's in the banking system, if you don't know. And it can come with penalties. So in China, reduced access to credit, fewer business opportunities, and one of the most harsh, tongue-in-cheek, Uh, they, they slow your internet speed down. So, yeah. For good or ill, right? It depends on who has the power to turn Sauron's eye. So that's my Tolkien reference for the day, for those of you who know what that means. This is precisely, though, what the Pharisees were guilty of. Today in the church, we might call it spiritual abuse. You may never have heard that term before. Spiritual abuse happens when someone who is in a, a spiritual or religious authority, they use your beliefs to hurt you, to scare you, to control you. It can involve uh, lots of things. Just pick up a newspaper or search out on the internet, and you can, you can find these things where it forces you or your children to be involved in certain kinds of uh, spiritual or religious practices or programs or, or, or whatever. Uh, in some cases, it can involve uh, religious leaders determining who you can have relationship with and who you can't have relationship with. Uh, it, 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 I won't go on because it just gets more unpleasant, but you get the idea. If you've gone through that, then you have an understanding about the, the pain and the pressure and the anxiety that that can produce, and it doesn't even have to be a religious leader. It can just be a uh, you know a, a, a friend who happens to have a very dominant kind of understanding of what uh, certain passages in scripture mean, you know. And you end up feeling like you're gaslighted, and are wondering if you're you're crazy, uh, and, and so not a lot is said. I'll say this about that, though. Thankfully, the truth uh, comes out. It does. So, uh, until that time, you can guard your mind. Uh, Don't let what has happened uh, take up space in your your brain. It's not worth the occupancy rate. It's just not. Think on the things that are lovely and good. Think a lot, you know, Philippians 4. Um, And in many ways, uh, you become what you think. And so, we don't want to waste any time on bitterness... And we don't want to waste any time uh, on anger. Uh, Certainly not let those things take over. It's a matter of forgiveness and and peace. So I I want to turn this back to the Pharisees now. The Pharisees, you have to understand what's happening here in order to understand the parents' response. They were not reasonably asking questions. They were actually extorting the parents. So if I understand extortion right, that is threatening someone with some thing in order to gain a particular uh, outcome from them. right? So they were extorting them. They weren't asking legitimate questions. They were trying to trap them so that they could trap Jesus. And they knew it. The parents' answers in the prior verses, right, they were brief, they were fact-based, clearly showed they didn't want any part of what they were doing. In modern speech, so these were smart people, they, you know, I, I don't let anyone, I don't want to uh, judge uh, these parents based on a single incident in their life. How would you like to be judged on your worst day? Would not be good. But in modern speech, it's, he's our son, he was born blind, no comment. I mean, you know, know, I'm done, right? And when you see this uh, couple realizing they're being extorted, they're they're being threatened with their very livelihood, uh, they said, we don't know. But that is if they would have been just completely curt, but they weren't curt. Okay so this has just been flying around in in my mind and it's a stretch I get it it's a stretch but here's what I here's what that stretch is for me I think they believed Jesus was the Messiah I think that they believed what had happened was a miracle and they were just as stunned and as astonished as their son was but it was so new That they didn't have the courage. There was nothing to base anything on to fight these Jews. They didn't see Jesus perform the miracle. They didn't see it happen. They just said, we don't know. And had they dared to say that it was Jesus who did this, I think... And I think that's why that second part is there. We don't know. And I think that's why John added it. I don't think John was like sitting there and the Holy Spirit, I be, well, I do believe this, the Holy Spirit was energizing him and running through him when he wrote, but I don't think it was along the lines of, okay, why did the parents say what they said? I don't think he was doing that. I think they told him. He got that information from somewhere, and I don't think he was attributing something to them that was out of and and the Holy Spirit could have given it to him, yeah, amen, could have more likely it was what happened, and they they told him, and that's why he put that there that's the only that's the only way I can make sense of a answer to a question that was not asked. And a parenthetical statement that answers uh, a question that or uh, makes a statement about something that wasn't said. I, I'll leave that to you. All I know is the Holy Spirit wanted it in the text for us. And i I spent a lot of, <laughs> I spent a lot of time trying to figure this out because you know I I don't skip over things in the text. You just you you deliver it now. Maybe he was. Just cluing the Gentile readers in the notions of the Pharisees' power in the community, that could be. But whatever, it serves as a vivid characterization not only of the unbelief of the Pharisees and the lack of courage on the part of the parents, but it should disabuse us of the notion that had we been there, we would have done anything different. I don't believe we would. Outside of the power of the Holy Spirit within us, Then something else might happen. They didn't have that advantage. They just had what they had. And what it does, if we think that we would be different outside of the power of the Holy Spirit, I think we're not fully understanding the power of unbelief. So, I can't entirely agree with my my colleagues that these parents were bad. I just don't buy it. I think they were imperfect people in a difficult situation doing the best that they could. The timidity that they had was with reason. So let's take uh, just uh, two more minutes maybe here and look at a a final look at what we might be able to glean from the text. Uh, A couple of things come to mind. First, when I think about the courage to testify. Uh, the parents, ultimately, unlike the son, he's, wow, the this, this son is just amazing. Their son is just an amazing fellow. Uh, make it clear that they didn't want to have anything uh, to do with it. I think that our inclination may be that when push comes to shove, but rely on the Holy Spirit uh, in those moments because we have this advantage that they did not have. Second, I'm thinking about the role of parents in nurturing faith. I wonder what Jesus saw in this man. I, I don't think he was random. I, I, I think it was all very, very deliberate. But he saw something. I think that the parents probably had embedded in him a faith at an early uh, age. I'm reluctant to judge the parents too harshly on this. There's another thought, too, but this is almost off to the side. But it is very interesting. Perhaps the value of living uh, life as a, a beggar is more powerful than we might assume. I, I read yesterday uh, that uh, Marie Osmond was not leaving her kiddos uh, the 20 million bucks. That comes from some place. That comes from an understanding that money does not buy value. It does not buy integrity. It does not buy love. And so it may be more powerful than we would at first think. William Tyndale died because he ran afoul of religious and political leaders of the day. So did Jesus. Tyndale died and gave his life. Jesus died. And he gave his life. But the difference is he gave his life for us. Man excommunicated Jesus. But he stands at the right hand of the Father in glory. Trust in him. Because to go to the final excommunication. You do not want to hear depart from me. I never knew you. You want to hear instead well done. Thou good and faithful servant, Father, we um, we really are so indebted, Lord. We didn't we didn't come to you because we saw more clearly than other people. We were blind and sitting in a corner somewhere and you gave us light to see. May we reflect on that and may it cause us to rejoice through Christ our Lord. Amen.